Man, we're so glad that you are here, and uh, uh, so much has been going on in a lot of your lives. And a lot of you have family here that have come in for Thanksgiving or are visiting you. I have some people here with us this week. Super great to have you all here. You see a big uh, piece of paper down here. We're going to have a response time at the end for families to engage with their kids in a response. But you can be a kid if you don't have a kid, and there are Sharpies down here. I'll give you instructions about that later. You don't have to, you can even fake it that you have a kid. Sit next to one and pretend that's your kid if you want to do that. Uh, I want you to take a Bible or your smartphone or uh, on the phone app of the church app. You can see the message notes there. If you just open the homepage of that, you'll see message notes there. You can take notes there and send it to yourself if that's the way you want to do that. But 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 16 and 17 is where we're going to be. I want to welcome home our, our elder Travis, who's been uh, gone for months. Welcome home. He is a fishing and hunting guide, so he's been in Montana helping men reconnect with their testosterone and kill things that they can eat. Uh, so that's great. Um, let's go. Now, this is the last week of our uh, Fully Faithful series. And so we've had one verse that has been the theme verse of the series, which I've asked you to memorize. Today's your last chance to show off that you memorized that verse. That is John 6, 29. They asked Jesus before that, what is it to do the works that God requires? And in verse 29, Jesus said, and I want to hear you be courageous enough to say it out loud if you actually know it. If you don't know it, I was going to say shame on you, but we don't shame here. So just do better. John 6, 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And what this whole series has been about is what does it mean to really believe in Jesus? What does that mean? It's not surface. It's not Sundays. It's not your religious moments. It is what is it to really believe in Jesus, who he is, what he has done, uh, how he reigns, how he brings his kingdom. Like, what is it to really believe that? And we know that to be followers of Jesus, to be disciples of Jesus, to really believe him is the great challenge of the human life because life can be so difficult. And what we know is that many of us, well, let's just tell the truth, shame the devil. All of us occasionally practice Christian agnosticism, which is to say we confess a belief in Jesus, but we live our lives unsure of whether he really is reliable or not. Is he really going to come through? Can I really believe what he says? And so we take control ourselves and make our own decisions and part from his ways because we're afraid or anxious or whatever. And so what we're trying to become as the people of God here is people who really believe in Jesus. And we believe it to our core. We walk with him. We believe in him. And that reflects itself in how we manage and navigate every arena of our lives. You can see uh, the handprints of Jesus. You can smell the fragrance of Jesus because we really believe. That's the goal, and that really is the pathway into our future, the way God has wired us to, to prevail there. So that's John 6.29. Today we're going to talk about our last conversation in this, um, and so I want to ask you a question. When you think of the question, what is God's will for my life, where does your mind go? God's will for my life. When someone to ask you, hey, what is God's will for your life? If you, like I've told you before, when I talk to high school students, 
they have a handful of questions they always ask, and one of them is, how do I know God's will for my life? So what is God's will for your life? You might start with the great uh, commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul, your mind, your strength, like love God with everything I got. This is God's will for me. And love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus goes on and on about what your neighbor is. It's not people you like or you choose. It's the people that are actually right there. So you could say that's God's will for my life, to love him and to love people. You wouldn't be wrong. Uh, it's interesting if you do a word search in the scriptures for God's will for your life, there's only two or three passages that specifically say this. So we're going to look at one of them, which is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 and 17. So if you will stand for the reading of God's word, which is our practice here, if you're willing and able to do that, and it's a very short reading, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, 18. And if you would like to try your hand at memorizing Scripture, but you want some easy, low-hanging fruit, there's some right here. Verse 16, rejoice always. So if you're new at memorizing Scripture, you can say, man, I memorized a verse today. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always. 17 not any harder. Pray continually. Okay, you got two verses down pretty easily. And then verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That is the word of God. You can be seated. Thanks so much. This is God's will for you. Here's our big idea today. This is God's will for you to be joyful, prayerful, and grateful. Now, this is his will for you. Why, why would this be God's will for your life? By the way, welcome to our online uh, tenders. Thanks for being here. Why would this be God's will for you? And I, I really believe that this is God's will for you as a gift to you. He calls you to this because it's a great calibrator of our lives. Today, we're talking about the spiritual discipline of gratitude. And I want you to think about these three commands, and they are the way God wants us to live. He calls us to this. This is my will for you. And I think when God is doing this, this is about mental health. This is about calibrating your life. This is about understanding and calibrating your place in the chaotic world around you. This is a powerful thing. Lately in my Bible reading, I've been in just my reading plan. I've been in the Old Testament quite a bit. And uh, at the end of the book of Numbers and at the start of the book of Deuteronomy, God gives very specific instructions as they are about to enter into the promised land. And this is the phrase that happens there often. When you go in to take possession of the land that I promised to give you, that just leapt at me. You're going to go in and take possession of the land I promised to give you. This is actually a way that life works for us as we follow Jesus. We have in our mind, I believe in Jesus, I sit in the lazy boy, and he brings everything to me. That's what we prefer. I mean, we don't want to work hard for this, but here's how it actually works. You have to take hold of, the, of that which God has promised to give you. Paul said it this way in the New Testament, I take hold of that. I use all the energy in me to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus died for me. So there's an effort here. There's a marriage of our behavior. And this is why this command, this God's will for your life, is so important because as you try to take hold of that for which God has already promised you, these turn into really important habits, choices, disciplines, for you to keep calibrated because there's three things that are true about every human being. You can't get away from this. That is pain, uncertainty or vulnerability, 
and hard work. Those are never going to go away. And so this is how God has called us to this. His will for us is that we be joyful, prayerful, and thankful as a lifestyle. And you might say, man, those are easy verses, easy to memorize. We just read it. I get it. Rejoice. Uh, you know, um, pray and be thankful. Pray a dismissal. Let's go home. I got it. It's actually really a lot better than this. So uh, it gets even better. So here's what we're going to walk through is this, this pattern. Because here is a way that God says, here's how you can take possession of what I promised to give you. That means you're going to make some choices. You're going to take some action. So let's walk through these three. It's not going to take us a long time, but let's walk through them. And first, he says he wants you to rejoice always. I want you to watch the adverbs. Uh, I, had a, I had to make sure, Sue and I went to bed last night to make sure I understood the English language. Hey, babe, what's an adverb? And I want to make sure that I was using that right because, you know, every once in a while, I demonstrate my ignorance, and I'd like to not do that. So uh, an adverb is a modifier of a verb, like an adjective modifies the noun. So I want you to pay attention not just to the verb, but also to the adverb. Okay, rejoice always. The word rejoice means to have great joy, to have great joy. And so God's will for you is that you have great joy always. Now, this becomes a challenge because we know that life is pain and life is vulnerability and, and uncertainty and life is stinking hard work. And yet here's this command to have great joy always. Philippians chapter 4 is another place we see this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So here's our first hint at how we choose joy and how we can have great joy always. The Lord is near. He never leaves us. So have great joy always is a real challenge. Now, here's the thing about life. Um, frequently in your life, you're going to experience two things at the same time. One, legitimate reasons not to have joy. I mean, this is really weird when Christians pretend that you should always have joy and not even acknowledge how hard life could be or loss. Uh, this is why the scripture calls us that we grieve when we have loss, but we do not grieve as people without hope. So two things are true at the same time. One, I have legitimate reasons to have no joy. And two, I have really legitimate reasons to keep having joy. These happen at the same time all the time. And so one of the problems with us is we get this binary idea that I either will have joy or have no joy, and life sucks right now, so I have no joy. How am I supposed to be joyful always when my scenario absolutely stinks? Two realities at the same time. How do I know that? Because I have faith in the one who died for me, who called me to rejoice always because he is near. We're going to spend some time this morning in Romans chapter 8 and a little bit in Romans 1, but here's what it says in Romans 8, 28. This is a verse, if you're a Bible memorizer, you probably have become very familiar with this. And if you're not a memorizer of Scripture, I would just encourage you. It's one of the greatest things you could do because it will help you in the very journey we're talking about, how to take hold of that, which God has already promised to give you. His Word is our guide. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, 
This is why I can rejoice always, because I know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Why can I have joy always? I have a lot of reasons for this. Because God has preordained that I would be conformed to the image of Jesus. This is his primary work in our lives, is to keep molding us. And we know that without pain, without hardship, character doesn't develop. It is resistance and pressure and challenge that make us strong. Uh, anybody that does any physical fitness, I'm not a guy that does that, but people who do tell me that you need resistance to your muscles and your bones. That's what makes you grow. So we know, we know that in all things, God is at work for the good of us who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And what is that good? He's conforming us to the image of Jesus. And that's just one, like that's just one thought. The scriptures are full of promise both for this life and the one to come. And so we have an eternal destiny that is jaw-dropping. We have something we're going to enter into in the future. Our eternal life is exponentially longer than our temporal one. And we have something to look forward to. Why can I be joyful always, even though this particular thing is very hard, even though this particular thing is saturated with pain, even though this particular moment is horrifically horrible. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but I can still choose joy. Why? Because God is going to work this stuff out for my good, because God has prepared an eternal destiny for me that is jaw-droppingly amazing and so much more. Not to mention the impact that my life will have on the people that God has put around my life as I walk with him joyfully through a hellhole. There's so much there. And so first discipline, first choice. Man, rejoice always. Always. Okay, it's not rocket science. It's a simple command with a simple decision to obey or not obey. A simple decision to say it. This is one of those cases where you might say it before you actually feel it, and that's okay. That's what's called confession. The ancient Hebrews, we've talked about this before, that they introduced us to the idea of lament as a form of worship. So while I'm grieving, hurting, suffering, I turn that lament into an act of worship because I know that God joins me in my suffering. He is a God who's acquainted with grief. He's a God who experienced suffering. And so my lament actually becomes an expression of worship and joy because God has not left me there. He is with me. So the first step of this choosing gratitude and the spiritual discipline of gratitude is the discipline to rejoice always. Secondly, he says, pray continually. Now this is, again, notice the adverb continually. And so some people, uh, King James would say, pray without ceasing. And some people are like, how do I do that? Like, pray continually. This will be a very important point of choosing to rejoice always, because if you're not talking to God, you won't have the the clarity or the insight to choose to rejoice. So talking to God becomes a very important thing. But what does it mean to pray continually? Probably 16 or 17 years ago, while I was pastor here before, we went to a place called Curacao. And I took with me Mike, uh, uh, anyway, Mike, and uh, 
and a guy named Ken, and we went to Curacao, and what was happening is we were prayerfully discerning, Mike Connor, we were discerning where did God want us to give a particular effort of generosity internationally. So we had narrowed it down to Malawi, Africa, to Curacao. Uh, so we went to Curacao to check it out. And man, uh, a small island, 40 miles off the coast of Venezuela, uh, 35 miles long, seven miles wide, in stunning beauty and lots of poverty, uh, high school dropout rate at about 85%, a lot of problems there. And I was captivated with what God had in his heart for Curacao. And I was just sure, you know, Curacao is where we got to go. So I come home and Sue says, uh, how was the trip? I said, are you ready? She said, I'm ready. I said, it was amazing. And I think God is asking you and me to move to Curacao. She said, no, he's not. I said, you're not even going to pray about it? She said, I pray without ceasing. I'm praying right now. No. So that's when I was introduced to the fact that my wife prays without ceasing. But, you know, what does that mean? Because you think, well, I got to pray all the time. I need to be talking to God all the time. I need to be talking. No, it's, a, it's actually an ongoing conversation where really you keep calibrating the no joy, joy tension. I'm having a constant conversation with God. I'm aware. It's really an awareness of your utter dependency upon God and an awareness of that decision that you place your life utterly dependent upon God. And you're going to have a constant awareness of that. And this is a skill that you develop to actually be in two places at the same time. I'm in the presence of God as I ongoingly entrust my life to him while I'm also in this moment, which is either a very happy one or a challenging one or whatever, a flat one or a boring one. But I'm in two places at once because God is always with me. And I'm having this ongoing conversation with God. When I was an early Christian, I really wanted to impress God. And so I wanted to outpray everybody. I wanted to outstudy the Bible more than anybody. I wanted to witness to more people than anybody because I believed that the more I performed, the more God would like me. This was something ingrained to me by my dad, which is a whole therapy session we won't go into. But I just believed that. And so uh, one of the things I wanted to do was have this robust prayer life. And so I read about people who prayed all the time. And I saw quotes from people like, I think it was Martin Luther who said, if I don't start my day with four hours of prayer, I won't have the time to do what I need to do today. And so I was throwing these monumental goals in front of me to pray. And uh, I realized, God, you know, that's, that's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. And God wants me to never leave his presence. God wants me to never stop talking to him. And now that I've developed, and it's what I've found in my own journey of faith, is that I need both of those. I need some concentrated times where there's no interruptions, God has my undivided attention. There are not two places at once. There's only one place. But then he also wants me to nurture a skill of talking to him throughout the day all the time, which is an ongoing conversation which helps us calibrate the no joy, joy tension. Right now, I have no circumstantial reason for joy, but I have a lot of powerful, spiritually real ones to have joy. And this ongoing conversation with God keeps me calibrated. Okay, so uh, rejoice always. Talk to God continually. One more thing about talking to God continually, praying continually, is if you're always doing the talking, you're not doing any listening. So it is helpful to continue the awareness of the presence of God. I find that uh, one of my helpful habits is to write out questions for God and then wait and see what impressions come to my heart or mind. Typically a scripture will come or some kind of, and, and that God is speaking to us. 
God is speaking to us all the time. He promised to do that. So you can't hear if you're talking. I've learned because I'm a, I'm a, I don't know, man, I'm a uh, addicted talker. You know, I, I, I use like 25 words, 1,000 words a day with Gus to 50,000. You know, I just, so it's hard for me to stop talking. But I have discovered that I learn way more when I'm not talking than when I do. Pray continually. Have a constant awareness of the nearness of God. Attend, lean into that reality, and let him help you calibrate the no joy, joy tension as you choose to rejoice always by talking to God continuously. He's never not there. And then this third command then is the is the part of giving thanks. Again, notice the modifier, in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances, but in them. Here's what's blew my mind. You look at the, I love to do little word studies, and the Greek word for give thanks is the word eucharistel where we get the word Eucharist, and if you're familiar, with, if you, any of you are Catholics in your background, Eucharist is the Lord's Supper. It is communion. This just modifies what it means to give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because I am thankful for the Eucharist, the coming of Jesus, that God himself, because of my inability to be who he made me to be, because of the broken world that's incapable of being what God wants it to be because of the people I love and are connected to, even my enemies who are really good at being enemies, whatever. Because of all that, I can choose thankfulness. Why? Because God himself took on flesh, became man, lived and died, nailed to a cross, nailed my condemnation to the tree. And I celebrate that with what we call the Eucharist or Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper I can give thanks in every circumstance because you know what's true that no one can ever change is that Jesus died for me, that Jesus took my sin away, that I have me who was chained with shame. Those chains have been broken and I live a shame-free life. There is Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Uh, For what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And Romans 8 goes on to just describe this incredible freedom that is ours because of Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances because even though this is hard and even though this is lost and even though this is brutally uh, vulnerable, I have no idea which way it's going to go. I cannot control it. I want to control it, but I can't control it. It's out of my control, and I just have to watch like a horrible slow-motion car wreck. But you know what's true? Jesus has died for me. My sin is removed. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation. No condemnation. That word means no guilty verdict. When God looks at my life, there is a no guilty verdict. And you know what? When he gave me that not guilty verdict, he already knew all the idiot, stupid things I'm going to do in the future. I used to trip over this. I love that Jesus forgave me for all the sin I had before I met him. But how do I reconcile his forgiveness for the sin I committed after I met him? 
Now I know better. Now I'm enlightened. Now I'm connected to God. And yet, self keeps winning. Uh, Trials keep coming. Failure occurs. When Jesus forgave me and took my no guilty, my guilty plea away, he already knew every idiot thing I was going to do till the day I die. And he factored that in. God factored in our frailty and our stupidity and our selfishness when he said, not guilty. Why? Because he himself. I used to struggle. How could we serve a God who would kill his son to redeem somebody else? But if you understand the incarnation, God didn't kill his son. He became his son. And God killed himself. There's one God expressed in three. It's a mystery, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he became flesh for us. Man, rejoice always. A decision. Pray continually. Like continually be connected to God so that you are hearing him and leaning into him and crying out to him and maybe shaking your fist at him and maybe challenging him. He can take it. And Eucharist always, man, Eucharist in every circumstance. Give thanks in every circumstance. Watch this. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, there is a power phrase if you've ever seen one. In Christ Jesus. This is the mystery of redemption. When we are born again, when God enters our life because of the work of Jesus and our receiving, taking hold of that which God has promised us, the Bible says that we are now in Christ. In fact, our life is now hidden with God in Christ. I think of a Russian doll, you know, where you have this doll, you open it and there's another doll inside there and you open it, there's another doll inside there and you open that. That's us. We are in Christ. Why he won't condemn us? Because we're in Christ. He would be condemning his own son. Uh, Why can I be thankful? Because I'm in Christ. Why can I rejoice always? Because I'm in Christ. Why can I have a continual conversation with God? Because I'm in Christ. It is a mystery that is the most beautiful thing ever, that we are both in this present world, fighting it out, dogging it out, trying our hardest, and we're also in Christ, fully redeemed, fully chosen by God, fully given the Holy Spirit to help us. And there's going to come a day where these two mysteries merge into one eternal reality. They call it, the theologians call it the already but not yet. I'm in Christ and in the flesh. There will come a day where I'm completely in Christ and death has been done away with. And now we, we party like it's 1999. And I don't know if 99 was a good year for you, but you party like that because you're experiencing permanently what God has promised to us now. So there's two powers that play right here as we obey this. And these are listed in order, not of importance, but in order of sequence. The first power at play is the enormous power of choice. God has given to us agency, and he has given us an enormous power to choose. So we choose to rejoice always. We choose to pray continually. We choose to give thanks in every circumstance. That is a personal choice that is yours to make. There's a guy named Viktor Frankl who was uh, captured in the Nazi prison camps. 
And he was a psychiatrist who believed in the power of human choice, like there's, not, there's one thing you can never take from me. And when he got in this concentration camp, he wrote his whole thing because he said, and he, and he diaried his process. It's a book called uh, Man's Search for Meaning. And in there, he talks about the Nazis could steal his gold fillings, they could take his wife and children, they could strip him naked, they could take his dignity, they could do everything, but they could not take his ability to choose what he would do with his current scenario. God gave you this. It's an enormous power. So the first power at play in this uh, decision, God's will for your life to, to rejoice always and pray continually and give thanks in every circumstance you have to exercise this enormous power God gave you, and that is the power to choose. And what I choose is utter dependence upon God. So the second power is God's enormous supernatural power to do the impossible. God has promised me he will be with me. God has promised me that he will conform me to the image of Jesus. God has promised me that he will weave together all the things in my life for my good, the ugly ones, the brutal ones, the ugly ones that I created, the ugly ones someone else brought into my life, he's going to weave it all. He wastes nothing. going to weave that all together for my good, and he has the supernatural power to do the impossible. Is anything too hard for God? Deuteronomy chapter 2, Moses is given the Israelites an earful because he doesn't get to go in the promised land. And he is saying, man, you refuse to believe God. You refuse to believe God. You refuse to believe God. I took you through the desert. I gave you water. I, you know, this is what God wants more than anything is for you to simply believe him. And so he's given you the ability to choose. So when there's pain, when there's uncertainty and vulnerability and terrifying fear, and when there's just time to roll up your sleeves and do the really stinking hard work it's going to take to get through tomorrow, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in every circumstance. For God is at work in you. God is at work in you. He will not leave you. You choose to take hold of that which God has already promised to give you, and he gives it. And he gives it with great power, with great liberty. He's generous. So there you go. So here's our response today. First, in just a moment, we're going to have a re response song where we're going to sing to God. And I'm going to give you an opportunity during that song. I want you to practice these three commands. I want you to practice rejoicing. I want you to practice praying, talking to God. And I want you to practice giving thanks. So this yellow paper down here is for people who want to come and do something tactile in your response. Uh, there's buckets of Sharpies, and you can come down here, and you can do all three of those. You could write out, I'm joyful today because. I have joy because. And then write out, God, this is what I want to talk to you about. And then write out, I'm giving thanks for this right now. You could pick one of those or all three. If you have kids, come down with your kids. Do this as a family exercise and let them express what they are, why they have joy in their lives, what they want to say to God, and practice giving thanks. As always, there are communion tables on either side of the room. You can go there, take communion on your own. There will be prayer volunteers over there. And if you need prayer, you want someone to agree with you in prayer, they'll be there. If you want to stay in your seat and reflect, if you want to stand and worship, whatever it is you want to do, but let's take this song and let's use this time 
to be obedient to these three commands, to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks. Our second response is always the same here at Summit Church, and that is to bless your oikos. Oikos is a Greek term in the New Testament, which means your own people. It's an extended household or your own people, and that is the group that God has brought into your life. We say it this way, God has supernaturally and strategically brought into your life at any given time, eight to 15 people who do not know him and who God is entrusting you to be a blessing to their life. So bless them. It's an acronym, believe for them in prayer, listen to them, eat with them, my favorite, serve them, and when it's appropriate, share your story with them. Bless the people God has put right around you. This is response number two. You'll start that as soon as you leave the room. But in the room, start this response. I'm gonna rejoice. I'm gonna talk to God and I'm gonna give thanks right now, okay? Let me pray for you and then they're gonna take us into this song and feel the freedom online. You can join in this with some responses to write out or spend some time joining us in this way in the room. Follow whatever's in your heart and do that, all right? And then I'll come back and send you home in just a minute. Father, we are grateful And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, ignite our imagination as we attend to you, as we kind of sit in a room full of people all by ourselves. Maybe we have our kids with us and with them. Help us to calibrate right now in this moment to choose to rejoice and have joy, to talk to you about what's on our mind, and, Lord, to give thanks for Jesus. Help us in this moment to sense your nearness to us. Give us sensitivity to what you would say and do in our hearts. And Lord, would you be glorified as we move toward you in this way. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen.